If you have your Bible, would you turn to Psalm 63? If you don't have your Bible, don't worry about it. It will be on the screen. We don't have many uh, uh, slides up this morning, but that, that will be up there this morning. And if you don't have a Bible and you would love to have one and you just you can't get one or you don't know how to get one, come talk to me at the end. I want to make sure you have one that's yours to take home. Um, Psalm 63. Listen to those pages turn. No screens in this place except mine. Um, Psalm 63 says this, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. And I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand holds me up. How good is that? Uh, Growing up, most of our vacations as a family were spent visiting my parents, uh, or my dad's parents, sorry, in Delaware down down the coast. It was a long 18 or so hour drive crammed into the backseat of a small Volkswagen Jetta. Me, my brother, and my sister, and my parents, we got along just fine. Um, I have so many incredible memories. Honestly, it was, it was incredible to go down, and that's where I learned how to surf. Um, going to water parks, and uh, one vivid memory is getting whatever new album came out and going to my grandmother and asking if I could put it on the big sound system in their living room. And I know she probably hated the music, but she just smiled and let me do it anyway. But one memory that that stands out to me the most is on these family trips to Delaware was the 4 p.m. early supper time that we would have at Golden Corral. Oh, some of you know. Some of you know. Now, if you don't know the phenomenon in which I speak, let me describe it to you. Or, Or actually, more accurately, let me set the table for you. There you go. You got it. Um, Golden Corral was basically, it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Another one similar to it is Bonanza. Crystal, have you been there? You know. Um, Now, to get a mental image of this, think of Ponderosa. Yeah, like the salad bar. But Golden Corral makes Ponderosa look cute. (laughs) So take the salad bar and then multiply that by at least five or six. And that was the restaurant. So there was a deep-fried table. There was a pasta and a salad table. There was a dessert table. There was a Chinese food table, a fried uh, or French fry table, ribs, every kind of roll soaked in butter you could imagine. If you wanted to eat cheap and if you wanted to eat a lot, Golden Corral is the place for you. I left that place every time, barely making it out to the car because I honestly just ate my 16-year-old face off. I probably eat three times more than what I actually needed because I honestly just wanted everything. I couldn't just pick one thing. But you go, here's the, here's the if you're ever going, let me give you a little piece of wisdom here. If you go at 4.30, you can get the supper menu without paying the supper cost. 
You're welcome. But here's the thing I also remember. We would leave and we would go back to my grandmother's house. And just after several hours, I found myself very hungry again. It was strange, right? I just ate the amount of what would or should normally feed like four men in my body. But it was almost as if I didn't eat anything. The reality is, though, I filled up on a bunch of empty calories and cheap food, and I never actually was satisfied because what I actually desired was real food, right? My surface-level desires wanted fried chicken, deep-fried egg rolls. This is really bad to talk about at 11, 10 in the morning, right? My, I wanted butter-soaked rolls and peanut butter pie. Debbie's is better. But that's what, right, that's my surface level desires wanted, give me the best comfort food for the cheapest price imaginable. But my deeper desire, my actually, my more real desire was for protein and fiber. Vegetables and grains, what my body actually wanted. Now, even as I'm describing it, the second list sounds terrible. But my deeper desire was numbed by my surface level desire. I got so bloated and full by what was only immediately satisfying me that what would actually satisfy me was numbed. And it's not until my surface level desires wore off that I actually realized that my deeper desires actually were never satisfied. The thing is, friends, our deepest, most real desire in every single human being that has lived or will ever live, our deepest desire, our most real desire is for the presence of God. We were all created this, this, in this very real desire for God and God alone. This isn't just, you know, kind of a, a, a foundationless spirituality I'm talking about. There is a very real desire for all of us to be filled and satisfied by the presence of God. The problem is too many of us end up numbing this desire because we just, to go with the food example, we stay so bloated and full with our surface level desires, we never actually listen to what's actually deepest. Too often it isn't until these surface level desires let us, let us down that we realize we were actually made for more than this. And this right here is exactly what David is talking about in Psalm 63. Now, before we jump in a little deeper in, in, into the text, let me just kind of set the stage for a moment. David, for many of us who knew, maybe grew up the Bible stories, who was David? He was king. There we go. Well, what did he do? What was his like, most famous thing? He killed. There we go. So, but at this point, just like Tanya said, David is king at this point. At the time of Psalm 63, David is actually king. He has already killed Goliath, and Saul is no longer king. David is the king. But what we also know about Psalm 63 is that David has gotten too used to living in luxury in the palace. He had money. He had power. He had everything most people would ever dream of. He, had, he was married, yes, but he had women like you wouldn't believe. He was king. He could have whatever he wanted. He had forgotten what it was like. Do you remember what David did before he was king? He was a shepherd. David had forgotten what it was like to be in the field, and it was just him in the presence of God. Well, that's all he ever needed. But now that he's in the palace, he'd forgotten what it's like to be fully satisfied by the presence of God with the Lord as his shepherd. 
So David isn't writing this psalm in the palace. He's not writing this psalm in luxury. If you have your Bible, I don't know what it says in yours. You can look down if you still have it open. But do you look at the, the line directly under the title, Psalm 63? What does it say in your Bible? All right, the desert of Judah. David isn't in the palace. Dave actually in this, did I say Dave? David. <laughs> Little Dave. <laughs> Dave is hiding in the cave in the middle of a desert. He's in a cave. With every single surface level desire, he is used to being satisfied with absolutely stripped from him. Well, we know about this time, if you do just a little bit of deeper study as to what's going on at the time of Psalm 63, his son, David's son, had actually led a rebellion against him, and David is literally running for his life. Psalm 23 actually is written at the very same time as Psalm 63. David is writing these two psalms at the very end of himself. His luxury is gone. His power is gone. The women are gone. His money is gone. His influence is gone. It's just him, a man hiding in the cave, desperate and alone. So now that we understand where David is right now, just think about that for a second. Just in a cave, maybe it's raining outside. He's got a little parchment and a little pen. Cold, lonely. And then he writes this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. Those two last lines make way more sense after we understand where David is right now. These words hold far more weight than we understand when we understand, sorry, what is actually happening with David in this moment. He's like a man about to die of thirst in a desert place, and he's saying, God, I need you. You are the only real thing because everything else has been stripped away, and I remember right here in my mess that I was made for you and for you alone. My whole being longs for you, he writes. My whole being longs for you. And he continues, I've seen you in the sanctuary, and I've beheld your power and your glory. I have seen you in the sanctuary. David's remembering. I have seen you in the sanctuary. And I have beheld your power and your glory. He's remembering times in the past where he didn't have all of his comforts. It was just him and God in the field with the sheep. I have seen you in the sanctuary. And I have beheld your power and your glory. I remember what it was like to hunger for you and for you alone. No palace. No riches, no power. Just David and the God he desired most. And he writes, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David has every luxury you could possibly imagine. He had the best. None of this buffet stuff. He had farm-grown, hand-fed, organic grains, whole food, creme de la creme, anything you could imagine. The most expensive farm-raised whatever, David had the best. 
He had power. He had all the money and the riches. He had every desire imaginable available to him at a moment's notice. He had servants that would bring him anything, any surface level desire he wanted, lust, sexual desire, whatever it was, he was able to satisfy that in a moment. And nobody questioned why, because he was king. But he instead writes this. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. He knows that at the deepest level, the only thing that will actually satisfy all of those cravings and actually make them less than is God's love for him. Let me ask, is this how we see God's love for us? To be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods satisfaction at the deepest level. Your loving kindness, David says, is what? It's better than life. Is that how you see God's love for you? It's better than life. In Psalm 16, I said this earlier, David writes this, you make known to me the path of life. What is he saying? You make known to me the right way in a world full of good paths. God, you make known to me the path that is actually life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Listen, friends, you, are, you and I were made to be satisfied by the love of God in the same way David is writing about right here. To be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. But again, I think many of us tend to be far too stuffed on empty calories to realize that our deepest desire is actually for God. This right here has been the truth. Many of you have heard my story over the last few years. This right here has very much been the truth God has been waking me up to, especially as soon as I became lead pastor of this church. God made it very clear and very known to me, John, if you want to pastor out of a heart of integrity and love and joy and, and devotion to me more than anything else, John, I've got to be the most satisfying thing in your life. We can spend so much time on Netflix and Amazon Prime, online shopping. We can get anything we want in a matter of minutes, and we get sucked into Facebook and social media land. It can become our whole world, can't it? Now, I'm not saying all of these things in and of themselves are wrong. Like, if you go home and watch Netflix, I'm not coming and kick down your door. I'm just saying we can get sucked in so quickly to the wormhole of distraction. And here's the thing. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, TikTok, they know how to suck you in. Listen, Facebook's great. It helps us stay connected to friends all over the world. That's awesome. But they know how to prey on our deep desires, our desire to belong and a desire for connection. Just before the storm, all that was showing up on my Facebook were ads for generators and battery-powered energy units. How the heck did they know what was coming? Honestly, I was scrolling through and it was like every brand of generator and battery powered. So I was like, come on. That's not a mistake. They play on those, on the, they pray. That's not a, that's not too extreme of a word. They can pray on those desires. We spend so much time trying to satisfy our surface level desires. We never actually listen to the hunger of our deepest desire for the presence of God. What's the famous line from Jim Carrey? I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed 
so they will know it's not the answer. Man, you, you can only experience all of that to say something like that. But just like David in the cave, many of us hit rock bottom. And it isn't until we are sitting in our own cave that we realize, oh God, you are actually my God. And here I am again. So earnestly I seek you. The good news, friend, is God has made a way for us to actually be satisfied in his presence. It's not like God's playing some rude game where, you know, let's see if these guys can actually satisfy themselves. We'll hold the answer out from them. That's not how God works. That's not how God works. A good father, what does it say in the Gospels? A good father. If you as fathers, when they ask for an egg, give them a snake. How much better do you think the Father in heaven wants to give you good gifts? Jesus came so we would no longer have to be slaves, and I think that's a really true way to put it. We don't have to be slaves to those surface-level desires. We can actually be set free to be satisfied by our deepest desire, God. But how do we do this? Because here's the thing. We've got to disrupt our desires. Because if you're like me, it's far too easy to just be satisfied by my surface level desires. Because listen, let me tell you, especially after Sundays, Netflix, Reese Peanut Butter Cups, and social media attention sounds real good. Because it's easy when you're tired or when you're, when you're exhausted and when you've, you've been busy and running around all day to just say, oh, how do I just like relax? But what relax becomes ends up being escapism too often. Right? That's why fasting is such a powerful practice. Fasting is basically abstaining from a meal or even a full day's worth of food and instead coming to the Father and saying, God, you are my deepest desire. I'm going to actually disrupt my bodily appetites, my lesser appetites, so that I can actually acknowledge, wow, God, I actually hunger for you and you alone. In you, I am satisfied. I don't always post about it, but oftentimes on Monday, I do a fast, and even sometimes Wednesdays, because it's like, God, I need to know at the core of my being that these other things that I hunger for, food's great, but God, you're better. Netflix is great, but God, you're better. Alcohol is great, God, but you're better. Drugs are great, but God, you're better. God, you are my deepest desire. Friends, that's why we have so many opportunities to pray here at this church. Do you realize that we have more opportunities and more time in our schedules to pray as a church than anything else that we do? We have prayer room Wednesday mornings, prayer room Thursdays, pre-gathering prayer, and other nights of prayer and worship throughout our, kind of sporadically set out throughout our schedule. Why? We pray to disrupt our less than desires in order to get our deepest desires to the surface and satisfy. We don't just do prayer because we're bored. We create opportunities to pray because it is the lifeblood to our bodies and our soul. When we come and we pray, we are in conversation with the satisfier of our soul, God and God alone. It's not out of duty that we come and pray. It's out of our deepest joy. It's devotion, not duty. What if in this time in history... God is actually inviting his people to long for him like never before. In a world with so much distraction, 
Endless news feeds, social media platforms, streaming sites, instant shopping, and instant gratification. What if instead we made more room for the presence of God because He is our deepest desire? I was talking to Scott as we were hanging out this morning, and I just said, you know, I think there's just so many versions of a good life that aren't really that bad, but just because that's what the world around me does, I just kind of bought into it and slapped Jesus on it and called it good. But I never actually asked, Jesus, is this the way you actually lead me? I think sometimes I've satisfied for what's good, but I've deprived myself of what's best. We're in a series right now, and this is kind of like a week 1.5, I guess you could call it, called Building the House, a Return to Discipleship. And friends, this right here is at the heart of it. To disrupt our less than desires and hunger and thirst for who is the only true satisfaction, the presence of God. Because that's how Jesus lived. You know, maybe you're here right now and you're coming in this morning what would seem like maybe just maybe a throwaway Sunday after a storm. And this morning you're just feeling like, God, I need to have a desire for you like I'm reading in, in Psalm 63 like David. God, I want to desire you like that, but I don't, I don't know how to do that. That kind of a heat and, and, and hot desire for you, God, just seems relatively cold and dead. And you hate that. And you know that you were made for more. You know at the core of your being, you were made for more than what you're currently trying to satisfy yourself with, but you just, you just seem, you can't seem to stop going back to those places. Maybe it's a spending habit. Maybe it's a website you just shouldn't be on. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's a medication. Whatever it may be, you just know that it's actually masking the deeper desire you actually have. And you're just tired of feeling slave to that thing. We were singing about it all morning, friends. Let Jesus set you free. Let Jesus set you free. Come to Jesus. Acknowledge the fact that you go to other things instead of him. Listen, shame is not from Jesus. Shame can really keep us in our mess, can it? You know, it's like, if I acknowledge this, I'm going to I'm have to confront the truth, and I'm going to let this person down. I'm gonna let, and we justify so much to just stay in bondage to something that actually wrecks us, all because of what ifs. Let's come to the Father and actually trust that he's better than we think he is. Let's not let the enemy, or even our own selves, sometimes I think we give the enemy too much credit. Sometimes it's just our own flesh that makes us stay in our own junk. We don't have to live like that, friends. Something we love to quote all the time, if you're new here, it's Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest eternal pleasures at your right hand. The whole prayer team isn't here right now, but I, I do want to invite, um, yeah, I'll invite you to come up. Yeah, come on up. But I just, I want to, I want to create some space. Just stay here in the moment. You know, I, I just want to create some space to respond this morning. You know, maybe again for you just to speak very truthfully and honestly to the point, you know, God keeps bringing me back to this point. Because I think for many of us, you know, 
COVID, and I know, I know I'd, it's, it's easy to go back to that because it's just it's so weighty and it's at the forefront of many of our minds sometimes. I think COVID really disrupted a lot of the things we build our lives on. And I said this last week in the beginning of our series, all it took was one little vi- virus and our whole world came to a screeching halt. I think for many of us, maybe it was finances, maybe it was our jobs. It's just like, man, I thought this was going to last forever. And we're looking like a year or two down the road, and it's like that feels like a distant memory, and I've got nothing left. The first step in realizing that we need the presence of God like never before is to acknowledge the truth that maybe I've built my life somewhere else. And I just, I just want to give us a space this morning to just respond to the fact that maybe this morning, just like me, you need to come to the presence of God just like David. Maybe you're in your own cave this morning. Maybe you know you're, I'm describing this situation like David, and you're like, John, that's not David you're describing. That's me. I'm sitting in a cave, and I've got nothing like I used to have, and I'm just asking God, is there more to this than what I've already have? Because honestly, if this is all I've got, I don't know if this life's worth living anymore. David showed us how to cultivate a deeper desire for God. And it's really simple. Acknowledge that you need him. David doesn't go hide and mask how he's feeling. He doesn't, you know, we were talking about this at Lighthouse Youth on Wednesday night. He didn't bury it away. He didn't go hide somewhere else. He sat in the cave. And he just confronted his own mess. And he said, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you in the midst of my shame, in the midst of how rotten I may feel, in the embarrassment I may feel, and how stupid I feel for missing the thing that I should know best. Instead of beating myself up or hiding from it or pretending like I'll just, it'll just get better as soon as I can get back into the palace. No, David says, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. In a dry land where there is no water, I am coming to you. Jesus said in the Gospels, come to me all who are thirsty and drink. And rivers of living water will come pouring from that person.